people don't, you know, don't make your future, your habits make your future. So I make sure that my habits are beneficial for my future. So what I plant today, what I do today will benefit me tomorrow. I'm not sad that I worked that hard today so I can have the benefit tomorrow. That is the great John Sally, and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody, what's happening? How are you? Thanks for tuning in. My name is Rich Roll, and this is the podcast that bears my name. It's the podcast where I sit down with the outliers, the big forward thinkers across all categories of positive paradigm breaking culture change. And the aim is simple. The aim is to help all of us unlock and unleash our best, most authentic selves. Basically, it's about, uh, I think these conversations and the guests that I host are really about kind of elucidating uh, a greater sense of one's personal truth, right? So I have guests come on, they tell their stories. These are conversations that my hope is you can emotionally connect with, like you can connect with their emotional truth. And my aspiration for you is that that will sort of elucidate some kind of universal truth applicable to your own path, your own journey. Uh, At least that's my big idea. (laughs) And I've got a great guest on the show today uh, to do just that, John Sally. Uh, He's an amazing guy. And I think that... uh, He's a guy who ain't afraid to speak his own truth. Uh, He's a proud and loud uh, advocate of a healthy uh, plant-based lifestyle, which is really powerful coming from an athlete of his pedigree and caliber. He's a four-time NBA champion, for those of you who don't know who he is. Um, But uh, he's very entertaining. He's been uh, somebody that uh, has been an influence on me. I've known him for a number of years uh, and a huge influence on so many uh, young and older pro athletes out there. So I'm looking forward to talking with him and sharing that conversation with you guys here today. Uh, but in the meantime, I just want to share a little appreciation uh, to you guys for tuning in today, for subscribing to the show on iTunes, for checking out my weekly newsletter. Please give us a review on iTunes if you got a moment. That really helps us out. And thank you so much for using the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com for all your Amazon purchases. The banner ad's right there on the podcast page. Doesn't cost you anything extra. Just a simple, awesome, free way for you guys to support what we're trying to do. Uh, and it really does help us out a lot. So thank you so much. Uh, I got a few more things I want to say about John before we get into the interview. But first. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. 
I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem. A problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. 
Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. All right, so you guys are in for a treat today uh, with John Sally. Uh, many of you probably already know who John is. He's a very uh, well-known, renowned uh, NBA basketball player uh, who has also made his imprint uh, on the entertainment scene, in addition to being a husband and a father uh, and this incredible athlete. He's also an actor. He's been in a couple movies. He's an entrepreneur. I feel like every time I see him or talk to him, he has some new entrepreneurial venture. Uh, talk show host, philanthropist, wellness advocate, longtime passionate vegan, and actually NBA champion. In fact, John was the first basketball player in NBA history to win four championships with three different teams the Detroit Pistons, the Chicago Bulls, and the L.A. Lakers. He retired after 11 seasons as a Laker on the 2000 NBA Lakers championship team. And since his retirement from the NBA, he's done all sorts of things. He's worked in television, film, radio, print, and new media. He was co-host of the Emmy-nominated series The Best Damn Sports Show, period, on Fox, and that went on for seven years. He had a podcast for a while with Podcast One. I think it was on the Corolla Network. Uh, he's not doing that anymore. Uh, but he also hosted BET's sports talk show called Baller, and he's had his own show called Game On on Reels. Uh, John is a passionate, like I said, longtime vegan. He's really uh, so such a great ambassador of this movement uh, around clean eating, and he has a you know a mission in life, which is to educate people on the health benefits of a plant-based lifestyle. Along the way, he has all these entrepreneurial ventures. One of them is called the Vegan Vine. It's his California wine brand. You might be surprised to know that not all wine is vegan. Who knew that, right? Uh, and he's active with another uh, venture called Better Life 21 Day Challenge. And we're going to talk about that stuff today. Um, this is a wide-ranging, sort of free-range conversation about John's life in the NBA, what it was like to play with guys like Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, Shaq, and under coaches like the great Phil Jackson. Uh, we talk about what drove his decision to go vegan, when and how that happened, how he advocates and works with athletes and normal people alike to change misplaced normative ideas about what it means to be plant-based. We talk about his entrepreneurial drive. Uh, we talk about the importance of meditation and yoga in his success equation, his routine, uh, and his mission to change the face of health by leading by example. And I really love this guy. I've known him for many, many years. Uh, he is nothing if not super fun and engaging and incredibly charismatic. Uh, he's an easy guy to talk to. He's prone to a few tangents, sure. Uh, we kind of go left a couple times, and you're never quite sure where John is headed with things. But listen, he's nothing if not entertaining, right? So this conversation has a little bit of a life of its own. Uh, it might have gotten away from me a bit at times, I'm not sure, but uh, I'm not sure I care either. Uh, I love John, and I'm really happy and excited to share this conversation with you guys today. So without further ado, uh, enjoy the life and times of John Sal. 
thanks for uh, coming over to the house, man. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a problem coming to this beauty. This it's, is beautiful. And I like how you brought your entourage, too. <laughs> like, true to form. Like, true NBA <laughs> player, like, rolling deep. Yeah, only rolling <laughs> with vegans, positive thoughts. Uh, nobody's carrying a pistol. Nobody has no, a chip no. on their shoulder. It's a different kind of entourage. A different, en- yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- reinventing the, the entourage, yeah, man. Yeah. I like it, dude. Well, this is a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm psyched to sit down and talk to you, man. There's so many, uh, so many things we could get into, but you know, why don't we just kick it off with like, what do you? I mean, you're you're like such a crazy entrepreneur. Like, you're just your hands in so many different things. Like, I can't even keep track. Like, every time I check you out or I run into you, it's like some new business, right? right. So, what is what's going on now? I'm trying to keep my daughters in private school. <laughs> yeah, I know what that's like. So, you know, they, they're charging all this money for me not to get it mm-hmm. back. Well, I, well, I I decided to just stop working for people. I, I work. You know, for people, but stop working, stop being in the situation. When I was at Fox and nine years on a great show called The Best Damn Sports mm-hmm. Show, period, I got, they, they fired me. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, we can't pay your salary anymore and the show's going to go away. And I just thought that was crazy that my... Such a great show. I mean, yeah. the, the ratings were huge for that too, yeah. right? There was no, why did they decide to welcome, end it? Welcome to the world of yeah, Fox. I mean, it's just, they were only making $61 million a year. It's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's, it's not good for their bottom line to right. only make $61 million profit uh it was eight years eight years of doing something is nine years for me for doing something in television is long four mm-hmm. years is usually what things last the fact that the view is still on is amazing mm-hmm. 15 16 years um you see what they had to do to regis and kelly and they had to make it uh kelly and michael right yeah, i mean you have to keep you know changing the tonight how'd, show. My, how'd michael get that job and not you because of regis Regis talked about Michael so much, and then Michael being uh, a giant, being on the show so much. Mm-hmm. He was with me on the Best Damn Sports Show mm-hmm. for six, 16 weeks. But he got it because he really deserves it. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, I, I watch. He, he's a, I mean, you're a hardworking man, yeah. but that guy's you know, one of the hardest working men in show business, yeah. man. And they make he him come quits. over to Good Morning America. Yeah. yeah, he's like flying back coast to coast all the time, right? Yeah, he was. In the, during the season, he flies here, but... You know, they put him on the jet to fly him back so he can be there in the morning. Right. Uh, so it's a hard working piece. But I guess gotten a, I figured out I needed a job that was going to pay me for not um, killing myself. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave something for my daughters. Uh, I put you through college, international business. I might be in business that can help you when we get out. And I told her, I said, this is like, so when I got in the wine business, you can pass the wine business down to your kids, and all they have to do is make sure the bottles are filled. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So I got into the did beverage you, business. Did you, did, was that a pre-existing brand that you jumped in on, or did you yeah. help found that? No, it came, I came in, I think, five months after they started it. Uh-huh. And then after the second year, I became co-owner, and now I own it throughout the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so except four full, countries. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's we just got good, whole food. So good, anybody good listening, to be in. you got to ask for the vegan vine wine. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why is there a different one called? Well, they say you got vegan wine, right? Ah, uh, I got you. So I had the brand. At one time, we were the only product in all of any store, eighty thousand pieces, that the prominent word was vegan. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just about me selling wine; it was about promoting veganism. Right. And so now it's it's different. The bottle is different, but that was this huge piece, and everybody was going. We didn't know wine was vegan. As right. long as we got you speaking about what's vegan and what's not, I think I did my job. Yeah, so a couple things. I mean, the first thing is most people, 
would just assume it's vegan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just grapes, right? So what's what's the vegan part? Like, what's the what's the non-vegan part in other wines? Uh, they don't do it as much, but in the finding of the wine, in the making of the wine, they use fish bladders. They use casein, better name for milk. Mm-hmm. Um, use egg whites. They use gelatin. They, really? Is that in the in the fermentation process? Or no. How, how do once they, they, they crush it, uh, once you crush the wine, and say somebody steps on the wine, you're going to have these wine particles in it. So they have to figure out a way to get those out without just sitting there with a scoop. So they throw that in, it magnetizes, the pieces go to it, then they scoop out the whole thing. Oh, I see. Piece. So it helps separate everything. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I would have never known that. Yeah, me either. Yeah, when I got crazy. there, it was the name of my program. If you go to the website, the Vegan Vine website, it says, I had no idea. So uh-huh. that's literally what I said. I had no idea. I used to drink stout when I went to, a, you know, I wanted a Guinness stout. That's mm-hmm. made with fish bladders to this day. Mm-hmm. So I no longer drink. Uh, I make my own beer now. Yeah, the road gets narrower. I had uh, I had David Carter in here the other day, mm-hmm. the three hundred pound vegan. Yeah, and uh, he had to go to the bathroom. And he goes in there and he washes his hands. He goes, you know, your soap's not vegan, man. It's got like <laughs> glycerin in it. You got to switch it up. And I'm like, I didn't know. He starts going on this whole thing about like how. Uh, you know, glycerin, a lot of the glycerin comes mm-hmm. from animal fat and like it's not labeled properly and, you know, all these things that you, th- you think you're doing a good job. There's always something else. Man. Dr. Bonner's brother. Yeah. Get past it all. We have a lot of that stuff here. Now, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You get some castle soap. No one right. says anything. But the other thing, too, is that, uh, you know, from what I understand with the with with uh, with the wine, they wanted you to take vegan off the label. Right. Yeah. So there was a lot of pushback on that. It was, a, it was a hard thing to get it on. And then they broke it down to where the word vegan was smaller and the new design of the bottle. That's cool. It's still on the cover. Mm-hmm. I still know. People still know it. It stands out amongst them. But it's still a great California wine. That's the deal. Every time I go out with one of our reps who is definitely not vegans because they sell in steakhouses. And it's kind of hard to sell me because they don't take me into a fish place. You mm-hmm. don't take me into a steakhouse. But in the summertime, when I bring out the Chardonnay, we sometimes don't even show them the bag. Everyone buys a Chardonnay. Right. And then we take it out of the bag and they go, this is vegan? This is good. I yeah, go, well, yeah. most of you guys are eating a vegan while drinking this wine. So right. Well, that's be- how you win. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be on par, if not better. Right. Otherwise, it's, you know, people aren't going to do it. No. And, and it shouldn't. I'm just going to tell you, I, I tell people all the time, just to sit around and tell somebody, it's good for you. It's a lot of... doesn't motivate food. people. No, no, no. Remember, people don't... They're, they're stuck in their brain about what food is, too. Mm-hmm. So I've been working with a lot of people. And the, the biggest pushback is I have people who have cancer mm-hmm. uh, working with now. And I mentioned, well, first thing, we, we got to change what you eat. And the first thing they said is, I'm not giving up chicken. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, give up your life. Yeah. Go ahead, give up your life. I was talking to a friend last <laughs> night who's a cancer survivor, and it's just, it's beyond me how anybody who is on the other side of that would, would be taken in mm. dairy and meat. You right. know, it's just, it's, it's crazy, I think. I think it's, uh, one, I tell people, I, I, I'd stop trying to save the world the last time I did that. They hung me on a cross. Uh, a long time ago. We'll what what happened? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> no, but I said, Jesus tried to change the world and they killed him. Yeah. So I just changed my world and people look and see the outcome of it. And I, I got somebody right now going, oh, I'm going to this new technique. Well, the chemo didn't work. I can't take chemo. I'm anemic. I have to have a blood transfusion before they can give me chemo. I said, well, we have to change your diet. And she's like, no. I'm not going to eat like that. I don't like vegetables. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, nice to have met you. 
And I literally left. Yeah. And the, the daughters are calling me, how could you be so cruel? I said, me, want me being cruel? It was nice meeting. And I, I already know the outcome. My father passed of it. Um, one of my best friends died from it. So I know the outcome if you don't change what mm-hmm. you put in your body. So Right. But that's a powerful, like, spiritual lesson, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you got you, you to stand in the light. But the minute you start pointing your finger, like, you're just, you're undermining your ultimate goal. Right? right. And And you just can't. You can't will somebody into wanting to change. No. It has to be internally driven. Got to be a sage. It, it, you know, and people have different, uh, you know, inflection points for how much pain they're willing to suffer before they're ready to take a look at that. But it's it's just odd that, you know, nutrition is so patently obvious. You know, a way to start to correct some of these things, but it's also the thing that people are most reluctant to deal with. Uh, that's because if they think they're missing something. I always said, I said, what do you think you're going to miss? They go, well, you guys have pizza? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys, but if you don't like, if you don't like meat so much, why do so many of your products look like meat? I said, because you people only buy what you see. So if it looks like the thing, but it doesn't give you the same outcome, you should eat it. Mm-hmm. And I've been working all these years cooking. My wife didn't even know I can cook for like 13 years because I wanted to make sure she knew how to cook. <laughs> that's a whole other thing you yeah, get in trouble like, with that one I was like chick I am not doing this all, all right. over so it's it's when the food kicks in how the food kicks in uh, everyone asked me about drinking wine and drinking alcohol and smoking weed mm-hmm. and I go no animals had to die mm-hmm. so nothing has to die for me to live mm-hmm. that is, that's my mentality right so uh, well let's take it back man let's yeah. let's 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 uh, get into the origin story a little bit so yeah. um you get into Georgia Tech, you're, you're, you're playing, you're a baller at Georgia Tech, yeah. you get drafted, you're in the NBA, and, you know, when does the idea of starting to take a look at kind of some of your lifestyle habits and, and nutrition start to kick in? Because I know there's a little bit of a story there. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I'm a rookie, 1986, and uh, back then they put guys in the same room together because the NBA was cheap, and... Uh, so it's Adrian Dantley and I, older mm-hmm. guy, and uh, he goes, all right, young fella, I'm going to buy you lunch, and we're having an exhibition game in Milwaukee. And so I order a cheeseburger with a strawberry shake and french fries, and uh-huh. he starts laughing. I'm like, why are you laughing? He said nothing. So he orders a, a sandwich with soup and then tells him to bring him another sandwich and soup at 4.30. Mm-hmm. This is at 1.30. So it gets there about 2 o'clock. I eat it like a savage. And I have to be up and down the arena by six. And he leaves at five. Style, don't forget my bag. Don't forget this. Don't forget mm-hmm. that. You're a rookie. You got to carry it. I, I Miranda over there by, you know, 5.55, 5.45. And in uh, going over, he's like, how you feeling? I was, man, I'm tired, man. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. And I'm playing against the slowest guy in basketball, Jack Sigma mm-hmm. and, and Randy Brewer, mm-hmm. two big Seven foot white dudes that were about Seattle. 49 years. Yeah. Slow. He moved. He went to Seattle. Right. But now Big blonde white dude. Yeah. Now yeah. <laughs> slow, yeah. man. And they're beating me up and down court. I can't score. They're just destroying me. Chuck is looking at me like, what's wrong with you? Takes me out the game. I sit next to AD. He goes, how's that cheeseburger treating you? Mm-hmm. That was it right there. He says, Sal, your body is deciding to try to digest that dead animal. And... You have cheese, you had ketchup, you had mayonnaise, you had all this stuff. You had bread with sugar. He said, your body is not thinking about playing basketball. It's still trying to digest that food. Mm-hmm. And that started it. But then 
you know, I started paying attention before I played what I ate. And then my cholesterol got to 274. I was 25, 26 wow, years old. Wow, that's super high, especially yeah. for a young person. Oh, yeah. And they were like, well, and I had a chef. had to, you know, and she was a big old woman, and right. I didn't pay attention. She just made really good fried chicken. In other words, she just used more oil, more butter, and seasoned it. And I met Dr. Jewel Pukram, who uh, told me I had to change my diet if I was going to bring my cholesterol down, or they were going to give me pills that stopped my um, penis from growing. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was still growing. It was still time. growing, you know. <laughs> it just stopped at 40. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, she said that. She said, you're going to have to take pills to make your penis work if you give you the pills for your cholesterol. Uh-huh. Telling you how she put it. Right. So as soon as you start talking about the penis, you're, you're, Most per- guys you're perked up. Yeah. <laughs> Most guys listen. to pay attention. Yeah. I still sleep with my hand uh-huh. on it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust nobody. Uh, but, see, I get a colonic, and I think it was the best day of my life. And mm-hmm. I go down to, I go Was it first, one of those where it, it, there's the tube and you can see what's coming out? Yeah. Like where there's like the viewing station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, got a great, uh, I got a great lady here <laughs> yeah. in L.A. named uh, Leah Joyner down at Oasis Spa on, uh, in, on Venice Boulevard. And I've had a lot of colonics in different places. And I would never let anybody enter me. I would have to put it in myself when I call you when the room comes. Mm-hmm. This girl so fine, I'd just roll over. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but she, she knows what she's doing, too. And I went microbiotic first. Uh, I lost, like, uh, I guess it was a, not a bad thing, 15 pounds of mm-hmm. undigested feces. And then I started building my body back. And my career got better. My mm-hmm. body got better. My game got better. I got better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and meanwhile, is like Adrian Dantley kind of mentoring you through this? Was he macrobiotic or no. just eating healthy? Or he like just, you, just, you just went next level. I went next level. He was more narcissistic. He, he liked to uh-huh. keep his waist at 32 and 34, go back and forth and, and, and be fit. I, I literally wanted to find out. I wanted to be a doctor when I was young. I went to Georgia Tech trying to be a doctor, got into architecture, then graduated mm-hmm. with an industrial management uh, degree. But I always wanted to be a doctor. So then I started studying natural medicine. I started studying um, acupuncture, uh, herbs. So I work with Dr. Goss, who you know registered me as a as an ND. And I didn't really want the ND. Stand for Negro Doctor, and I didn't want anybody calling me that. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. So I I went and I just started paying attention. In 1999, uh, I'm watching the Lakers play, and I call Phil Jackson and I go, when are you taking this job? And he goes, how did you know I was taking that job? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you got Kobe and Shaq losing. They right. need somebody there. He said, are you in shape? I stay in shape. I wasn't in shape. Um, I got in shape and I went back. Uh, that's when I met Dr. Goss and started working on my body again. And then that one year just put me into it. And after that in 2000 and I think seven, I decided uh, to go to the next level. I was doing a PSA for PETA mm-hmm. um, about being a vegetarian, but I was eating tons of cheese, tons of butter, mm-hmm. and I still was getting, I was like 265, 271. Um, somebody, you know, no disrespect to Magic, but he had gotten big. Right. And somebody saw me walk in the club and thought I was Magic, mm-hmm. not because of the greatness, but right, because right. I Right, And this is seven years after you're done playing, right? Yeah. And that was it. When I became a vegan, my weight is back down to what it was in 1989. My cholesterol stabled. 
my blood pressure is stable, um, swelling, I'm seeing people disappear around me. I feel better. So I'm more raw vegan, so I eat like vegan food twice a day, mm -hmm. right? maybe once a day, but most of the time I'm eating as many vegetables. I was just in, in uh, Grand Rapids, they go, are you ever not eating? Uh -huh. I go, nope. <laughs> yeah. I said, just like that cow right there, I'm gonna graze on something, and I, I'm constantly putting something in to know what it is. I drink a gallon of water a day. Mm -hmm. uh, I do yoga. My wife is a Pilates instructor, mm -hmm. and that's a hard chick to work out with, but mm -hmm. you know, we, we get it in. Um, I taught my meniscus trying to do insanity. Uh, I don't know what right. I thought, what I was doing, doing jumps, but uh, <laughs> mainly because I thought I was a jumper, but I realized that's when I was in my 30s. So now my meniscus is healed. I didn't get operated on. And we'll see what's up. Right. So now you're, what, 49 right 50, now? 50, you're 51. 50. Okay, yeah. So just a couple of years older than me. That, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So when, so when you, when you kind of jump on this macrobiotic bandwagon yeah. when you're playing and, and you're getting into colonics and stuff mm -hmm. like that, I mean, are you getting a weird eye from the other players or everybody's just kind of doing their own thing? Like no well, one really knows what everybody else is doing. I always got a weird eye from players. Yeah. That's a whole nother joke. But uh, seriously, they used to think I was crazy. They did a story on me. And because I would bring my acupuncturist places, like if we would play uh -huh. games and stuff, and my massage therapist, I liked that game tickets, and they flew in. I'd rather hang out with them and get my body tuned up. And everybody thought I was, why would you bring all these people? And I said, have you guys ever watched, you know, NASCAR or Indy racing? They don't leave their mechanics at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, you're, 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 you're getting paid, you know, very handsomely and mm -hmm. you're getting paid to perform and to entertain. Right? right. And especially as you're getting, you know, into the twilight of your career, it becomes all about trying to extend that. Yeah. Right. And nutrition is the obvious kind of like uh, thing that people overlook. And I, I think what happens is, is because athletes are working out so much, it's just, it's about calories and, and they look good on the outside. Everyone looks super fit and they're training really hard. So it's an excuse to just eat whatever and mm -hmm. people think it doesn't matter. So kind of solving that equation, I think becomes difficult. And it seems to me that, especially with professional athletes, they don't start really thinking about it until they see the, the you know, retirement in the, right. in the near future and the end of those paychecks, they you know, start, start paying attention to, you know, what's going on, right? And they don't think, this is mm -hmm. a, a thing that trips me out about teams. I, I said it to Phil, and I'm saying it again now, I always send him emails, and I go, if you, you really got to let me come in and talk. I told Doc Rivers, since mm -hmm. I'm here in Los Angeles, you have to let me come in and work with the players. Because it's... It's not just the money. Man, they're making enough money. They know how to eat. You, you can't be mm -hmm. that ignorant to think that they know how to eat. They, they don't know right. how to eat. They don't. They've never. This is the <clears> funniest <throat> thing about when they talk about athletes that lose their money or athletes that, that get injured. They only were told go. They don't tell them how it goes. They don't think about anything. I always, I love race car driving. And I know, they know exactly how much air is in a tire. They know exactly if if you can ride on slicks if you're out of gas what gas to oh, put it's in. it's insane i had uh you know landon castle mm, he's a no. vegan nascar driver oh i had him here over here for you know, i had him on the podcast and he's driving a car that that isn't quite as well funded as the you know the jimmy johnson's but mm -hmm. he was kind of telling me about what the top funded teams do and it's just incredible how much science and money is going into those cars 
every single day and the, and everything down to, you know, the micrometer of this or that and being in the wind tunnel, like mm -hmm. literally all the time and shaving, you know, tiny little pieces of carbon off these cars. I mean, crazy stuff, right? Yeah. And that's the way it should be. And that's, yeah, if you're a, a professional athlete and no matter what sport you are, you should, you should apply that level of discipline to, you know, what, you know, you don't have a race car, you have your body, right? right. So what are you doing for that? And they don't. This is when I was playing on a team. I'm not going to say the name of the team, Miami Heat. Um, <laughs> I got <laughs> I got on a plane, and I was always the vet, you know. And I had won the two championships, and we were already back and forth. I took all the money when I when I came in. Act like that was a bad thing, and I saw guys get on the plane with Wendy's and the other company, McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Dude, what are, what are you doing?" He said, "Man, I had to stop and get something to eat. I don't like the food on the plane." Now we're on a private jet. And they didn't like the food on the plane. Mm. So they stopped and picked up dollar phone. I had to explain to them. I said, let me put it this way. You're a $20 million player at that time. And you put a dollar worth of food in your pot, in your food. I said, that's like having a Ferrari and you going to get the cheapest gas you can possibly get and putting it in the Ferrari and expecting the Ferrari to perform as they told you it would before you gave him $226,000. Mm -hmm. What kind of reaction do you get when you give that speech? Oh, whatever, Sal, <laughs> yeah. right? And then those guys are the ones that get the little nagging injuries. They're the ones that don't heal quickly. They're the ones that don't come back. They're the ones that always blame. And those are the ones who, after a while, they say, oh, he's, he's accident prone, or he's, you know, you stay away from him because he stays injured. It's because they don't understand why they're injured. They don't understand that the body needs nutrition and, and minerals and to heal itself. Mm -hmm. they, they have no idea. But it's not their fault. I no. mean, it seems like there should be somebody at each team who's responsible for making sure everyone understands that. I mean, I just, I've told this story before, but I, I went out to the Olympic Training Center. I, I, was, I, I got to give a talk to uh, the USA Swimming National Junior Team, like the fastest 18 and under kids in the country. And there's a bunch of national team guys that are training in Colorado Springs. You know, have you ever been to the Colorado Springs no. Training Center? It's like a college campus that's sole purpose is creating excellence for these athletes. Like they have every resource at their disposal. Like everything you can imagine is in this incredible, you know, multi-million dollar complex. Every kind of athlete is there. And you go into the cafeteria and it's just as much soda as you want, as much you know, soft serve ice cream and like burger patties that are soaking in grease. It's like the worst food that you can imagine. Yeah, and they know? won't listen. My daughter's uh, top, <clears throat> she's 12, and top in California in shot put and high jump. And, oh, wow. And, and, they, and she has more muscles than everybody else, and she runs the 100-yard uh, dash in 13.8. And everybody goes, wow, what a record for a female is 10.75. And she's 12. Whoa. And so I said to her, I said, each year we got to take it. We got to take, by the time you're 16 years old, you need to be Usain Bolt. Mm -hmm. And she was like, huh. I said, if he can run that speed, you can run that speed. That's all I'm telling you. I said, he's not even racing against the guy next to him. He's counting his steps in a matter of seconds. She was like, what do you mean? I said, he knows how many steps it takes him to get 100 yards. Of course. And how many seconds it takes him to get it. I said, so stop looking to your right and, right and your left. And think that way. And I said, and when you get there in the morning, you don't have to worry about if you've eaten properly, if you're trying to digest food, because I'm your dad. And mm -hmm. she's sitting there. I said, well, I want protein. I said, oh, that protein is going to take about two hours to break down. So just have some of this green drink 
eat this apple. I don't like bananas. Oh, you're going to like it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to only have this quarter of it. Because I literally watching, I sat with Brendan Brazier and we made um, literally the gel with agave, lime, water, um, and date. Mm-hmm. And so I told I said, this is the gel we're going to put in your body. I said, we're going to treat you just like you're running a triathlon. That's the way we're going to treat this body when you're performing. And I told her, and I, she loves race cars because of me. And she loves when I bring fast cars home. And she loves mm-hmm. that I take her. And I go, I had to put high octane gas in this car. And that's the way I look at it. I tell people, my, I'm a Mustang Sally built 1964, mm-hmm. mint condition. I'm not going to. And I always say to people, I said, why is it when you get older, you feel you need to get bigger? And then first thing you, you pat your intestines and say, good eating. I said, mm-hmm. obviously not because your body won't give it up, won't lose it. So I, I go back to these teams. I even went to DJ. Um, I was with James Darden, and I said, you get tired in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Just saw him not too long ago at Kanye's game. I said, in third quarter, about four minutes in third quarter, you disappear for about four minutes. They take you out for about two minutes. You come back in. You disappear at the beginning of the fourth, and then you take off. Then you get... With three minutes to go, I can't find you. Mm-hmm. He's like, you watch the game that much? I said, I only watch what your body does and what your brain does. I said, you can't play 48 minutes straight without thinking about it? And they talk about Lance Armstrong. I'm not going to say anything about doping. we we'll leave that out. Mm-hmm. He can focus and keep his heart rate and his breathing the same while pedaling. And that's how his brain thinks. If I stay on course and I keep doing this, nobody else can keep up with it. Now, if steroids help that, God bless him. Whatever the dopings does... Whatever, whatever, whatever. When I watch Tour de France, I think about that. I said, these guys are on a bike and their brain and looking at their thighs, their brains are thinking about how I can stay focused for this amount of time. Mm-hmm. And you see guys going in and out. They're getting foul trouble. They, they just make the dumbest mistakes. They happen in football too. I tell them in football, I said, it has to be the food because mm-hmm. you guys aren't really that stupid. Mm-hmm. So, well, then maybe again, some guys play for Dallas. So, yeah, right. I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have, I mean, do you have the opportunity to go in and talk to talk to players? I mean, does Phil Jackson bring you in? Did, did he ever bring you in? I mean, well, how does that work? I mean, there must be some demand for you to come in and kind of work with guys, younger guys. No, I went in when I was a Laker. We had yoga on Wednesdays. Uh-huh. Uh, the yoga instructor was okay looking the first time. Nobody paid attention. Right. We went down to Manhattan Beach and got a really cute blonde with a nice bubble. And then everybody shows up. Everybody. Rick Fox was up front. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Rick Fox is going to take up a spot. But literally, we had no injuries. We won 19 games straight. We did this thing called One Breath, which Phil would do tons of meditation and mm-hmm. tons of breathing techniques. And when these guys are all on the same accord, they realize it worked. They don't give a lot of credence to it. But when they get older, they start realizing, yeah, that's exactly how we went about it. Um, people, I was with the president of um, Myers. Uh, grocery store, which is a mm-hmm. big grocery store in the middle of the country, he lost 19 pounds. He said, I listened to you and a couple other people, and I lost tons of weight. And I said, it's not about losing weight. My program is the 22-Day Better Life Challenge. Mm-hmm. It's B-E-T-T-A. And it's about being better every day, today, tomorrow, and always. This always trying to be better. So the caveat is you lose weight. Right. Why just 22 days? Because 21 days changed the habit. My basketball number was 22. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right, 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, then, <laughs> and then I was so happy Beyonce came out with a 22-day revolution. Right. Uh, and everybody, you know, they don't pay attention. So they found me online instead. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, to get on 
at the right time. So it's just easier to say 22. And then I tell people if you, every 22 days, you just, you just keep getting better every 22 days. Just renew the subscription. Just right. keep going. And they go, how, how many days do I have to do it for? I said 365. Mm-hmm. And they go, what? You said 22. I, I'm going to keep redoing. They don't realize that I had to give them a small number before getting to Yeah, it's that weird thing where, where if you're trying to get somebody to change their lifestyle, it's too overwhelming. So you set these short mm-hmm. windows of time, you know, so people can wrap their brains around it. But, but it's not about that short period of time. Like it's, it, wh- what's, the, what's the benefit if somebody just does that and then goes back to doing what they're doing before, yeah. you know? Uh, uh, this, is the, this is the one thing. When my cousin, he was 385. Uh, he went down to 205. No longer needed to take his diabetes medicine. The funny, when he was walking, though, he still walked like he was, like he was carrying the weight because his body had to. I said, why do you walk like that? He goes, it's, oh, whack. it's the only way I know how to walk. And he went back up to 275. And now he goes, after seeing you and hearing what you said, and I told him, I said, I don't go to funerals. I just, I'm not, I'm not going to go to self-imposed funerals. And, and you know. My boy Alan wanted me to go to a wedding. I'm not going to self-imposed funerals. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, I said, my man, I'm, and, and I used to be a preacher, a teacher. Now I say I'm just a sage. I lay it out. I have documents now. We have a proven fact. If they want to believe what they want to believe. And I always said, I said, why do you believe that the government will let you and they would say, well, the government wouldn't let it go out if it was bad for you. Mm-hmm. I go, what government are you talking about? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a problem right there. Yeah. You don't have to, like, you know, sort of scrub somebody's brain if that's, they're walking around believing that. Yeah, they do. They believe it. And they, people that still get upset and believe things about, I tell them all the time, I said, you can't rely on anybody else when it comes to you. You got to rely on yourself. Right. So when somebody comes to you and says, yeah, but I'm eating, you know, I'm eating the paleo diet. Like I, I feel good. Like I'm sure people say that to you all the time. I mean, how do you react to that? I said, the paleo diet. Said, yeah, that's how the cavemen were eating. I said, where are they? <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> that's not a fair argument. It's, it is. <laughs> it's a very fair argument. Uh, plus, I, I give a little bit of history on that as well. So the cavemen, who they want to pay attention to, were from the Caspian Mountains, um, mostly known as Caucasians. And they didn't have, they had lighter skin and lighter eyes and, and because environmental situations, thinner noses, hair growing in different places, more to protect their body. And less vegetation, so they felt they needed to eat that way. If you go into the bush, no one is eating animals. Mm-hmm. So why is it those Africans in the middle of the bush that eat once in a while, how is it they live so well? How is it they didn't give slaves any meat? The only meat the slaves have, they're still eating. Chitlins, chicken wings, oxtail, ox tongue, uh, pig feet. Those are slave, those, that's slave food. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to a rich white folk and say, hey, you want some pig feet? They'd be mm-hmm. like, why would I want the foot of a pig? Well, the reason they had the foot of the pig is because the slave master, those were the bad parts of the animal. They threw them out. The slaves confiscated them, and then they cooked them. And that's why black people still eat slave food. Mm-hmm. But besides that, if you really wanted to be healthy, and the one thing they always talk about in all the eight blue zones in this world is beans. And, and, and Latins and blacks have been known for beans and rice. Beans and rice, the protein and that starch that carries a ton of water that can hydrate you. So when I look at it, I tell them all the time, 
your teeth are not made to cut into the skin of, a, of an animal. Just not. Matter of fact, the funny thing is, neither is a lion. If, you, if they ever were to see you when they catch a lion and that lion kills it, they turn it over and they eat from the soft part, meaning the genitals, up into the body. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They, they had huge fangs. How can that be true? Because their fangs go up and down. They don't go side to side, so they have to cut and uh-huh. pull. Uh-huh. And then they eat all the way through the intestines up and through the pig, up and through the, the, and through the wool of beast, because the skins are too tight. So if you ever see an animal has been murdered by another animal, you only see the underbelly gone. Mm-hmm. They don't eat the top belly. Right. And a great joke from Larry the Cable Guy would say, uh, why do they call it rump roast? He said, because nobody would buy Cow ass. Yeah, <laughs> it's true, man. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that people probably say to you all the time is, yeah, you go around talking about vegan stuff, but like you weren't vegan when you were playing. Like, you know, yeah, so I was a vegetarian. There's no, playing. there's no proof in that. Right. So how do you, how do you kind of address um, that? With I people? address it. Uh, I went to the NBA a couple of years ago and said we were going to run into a problem with players if we didn't help now. And they looked at me like I was never played in the league. And this past year, five NBA players, four NBA players died from heart disease, mm-hmm. heart-related diseases. Three with heart di- before 52. The oldest was 52 years old. Players weren't living past that. And if you see them, they're walking hunched over. They walked over. Their bodies are beat up. No one really cares about them. Um, and I tell people that all the time. They, don't really, they get upset about baseball and steroids. I hear mm-hmm. this all the time. And I go, what difference does it make? And they go, oh, what about the tradition of the game? Those other guys, they didn't use steroids. I go, no, they use racism and, um, and cheaters to get to those points and those mm-hmm. numbers. Mm-hmm. And I said, so why would you even want to hold on to that tradition? Like, uh, I tell cats all the time, when I was playing, I was 25 years old, I changed my diet. Now, that was 26 years ago. I just was with some of my teammates, and my teammates are either above... 350 or above above 350 above 300 and 350 right all the guys from your generation all, except isaiah thomas decided to become a vegan oh he did i didn't know that yeah he, wow. all of a sudden he goes sal you were right i'm living this vegan diet man mm. he said i'm on and off man but i'm like 60 percent vegan i said brother don't worry you you'll be great one day <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think that the the life expectancy in the NFL is like 54, right? Mm-hmm. Is it similar in the NBA? No, yeah, well, now it is because these guys still go to steakhouses and they still go to every golf event. <clears throat> and at every golf event, they give them the baked chicken, they give them the salmon. And, and I'm not like, this is so funny. I really don't talk about against meat companies, but I make this point very clear. I said I was watching the deadly, uh, deadly catch. Um, when it first came out, and when they caught these fish, and all of a sudden they weighed the fish. It was a bluefin dolphin. They were so happy. The guy took the bluefin dolphin, threw it in ice, made a speedboat came and got it, took it in. They put it on a private jet, and they flew it to Japan. They paid $250,000 for one bluefin fish because they extinction. (laughs) There are no more bluefish tuna in the ocean. I, I don't uh, blue bluefin bluefin blue blue right they have farmed it or I'm sorry fished it out mm-hmm. so to get that fish it was a thousand dollars a pound and I was like wow that's amazing the top buyer but then they showed that they they bring the fish in they weigh it they bring it and they clean it they auction it it then goes into bins they then send it to by the time you get that fish it had been a month mm-hmm. now 
the only person I know that hadn't been buried right soon was was James Brown. He stayed <laughs> out of the ground for like nine months until everybody figured out who was going to get money. But if you, if somebody dies, their body heads to Warwick and Mardis immediately. That's that's, that's nature. Mm-hmm. A month to get that fish, and then to tell me this is good fish. Yeah, that's that can't be good. Plus, that the carbon footprint of that is insane. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You think that no that that's a whole nother that's thing a different that no one is but, uh, even caring about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are not paying attention. They will no one that pay attention. They watch the book of Eli with 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 Denzel, which kind of explained what can happen. Uh-huh. Uh, the Kingsman with Samuel Jackson, uh, saying we're just gonna have to kill everybody. Everybody has to die, so this planet can live. Right. And and that's the way they're gonna look at it. Well, we're the you know we're the virus. We're the plague on the, yeah. the planet. We do just much better without us yeah. you know we're the one who's sucking it dry but since i'm here i'm going to try to stay as long as possible my mom had a heart attack at 81 i brought her out here wow. and we did healing work on her did a whole bunch of things she's 92 now mm, wow and i said Maya, you want to come back out she goes no nah, my brothers and sisters are dead all my friends are dead I, i'm gonna let i'm gonna let it go take its course i said it is its course you had me as a child you need to come out here get some air get some get some water get some real food she goes, maybe, but you, I, I told her she can come for two weeks. I kept her for six months. Wow. And, but your dad died when, your, your dad died pretty young, right, of diabetes? Yeah, yeah he died yeah. of, uh, he had diabetes. He died of cancer, um, uh, lung cancer. He smoked cigarettes, but that wasn't the total thing. He, had, uh, he worked with asbestos. Mm. So he's 73 years old. Wow. And uh, after seeing that, I said, as many of my people I'm around, if I can get them not to put more cancerous cells or free radical cells in their system. We're going to try not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, especially when you look at like PCRM and Dr. Neil Barnard and what he's been able to do in terms of educating people about how they can reverse diabetes, which, you know, that's a plague on the African-American community. I mean, as it is, it's a plague on everybody, but it's particularly acute in the African-American community. But they like, you know, somebody said to me, uh, I did this show on Magic Johnson's uh, channel called Aspire. She goes, um, you know, black people like they like they bar their, their barbecue. I said, you know, black people also like diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this is I tell this stat and I say it, and people look at me like I'm crazy because if you tell everybody, if you, you we're all becoming zombies or there's too many zombies, well, you can't tell it to the zombies because the zombies don't think anything is wrong with mm-hmm. them. So I said, these black women, I said, three out of every four black women is obese. That's, that's, that's three out of every four. They go, I'm not, I, I like being big. That's, what, that's right. they, what they say. And I say, oh, yeah, I, li- I like certain parts of you being big, but I don't like the whole body being big from inflammation of this situation. Well, this is the way it is. My mama was built like this. Mm-hmm. I go, no, not, not necessarily so. She may have been a big bone as we would say, but not sitting around with disease just eating right at the head. And when I say this to people in the, uh, in the black community, they get stuck in their mind that it's okay. I, I, I always go back to the cheese. I go, my mom's made me wait online for that government cheese. And I remember taking that cheese and putting it on traps. And I grew up in a project in Brooklyn and no rats ate it. Now if a rat wouldn't eat it, mm-hmm. I, and a rat eats everything. If a rat wouldn't eat it, there was no roaches on it. It was nothing. I said, Ma, this is not cheese. Oh, you're going to eat that. You're going to stop being proud. Just I said, it's not that I'm you know, proud, which I am, but 
this is not food. I mm-hmm. kept saying it. And then look what everybody has now. Look, look at the, the baby boomers are going to die and have Alzheimer's. And, and they, all these different things, they go back and start paying attention to what we were putting in our body. When I used to have to wait for my mother to cook, now they throw it in a microwave. My microwave has dishes in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, got, we don't even have one. Uh, well, I couldn't get yeah. rid of it because my <laughs> wife tried to non get rid of it thing. I moved it out and I started cleaning like um, marijuana pipes with it, mm. thinking I was the smell was going <laughs> to. Yeah. You got to clean glass pipes in the microwave. That's the only way to clean it. She was like, I'm still going to use the microwave. I'm going to wipe it out. So it, it's, it's, well, we got to hurry up and eat. I go, you don't have to hurry up and eat. You just, you just have to eat. You don't have to hurry up. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, you should take your time and not talk and chew very, very, very finely. Enjoy your food. Think about how wonderful the food is. I, I tell them all the time, you should enjoy this meal as opposed to thinking you got to hurry up and get to work to kill yourself or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cultural norms have, have changed, right? Yeah. When suddenly everybody's big and you go to the airport and everybody's in a golf cart, you just start to think that that's normal. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes easier and easier to not like flip that mirror and look at yourself objectively and, and, and really kind of like, you know, understand what it is that you're doing to yourself, right? Yeah. If everybody's big, if everybody's eating lousy food, then that you know, must be you're good. the crazy outlier when you say, you know, I'm actually going to feed myself something that's good for me. Yeah. And you're I, a crazy person. Yeah. I'm a, I am a crazy person. I, and I tell them all the time, I said, I'm crazy to think that I worked my whole life to get to this point, to live well, to then to kill myself. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Richie made me think just a few seconds ago. I, I really did reach out to... I think four teams about how you train your athletes, right? And the coaches don't know any better, and they feel that these guys are great. And I tell these guys, I said, so where are you going to eat? And that's the only time we're going to mention a company. Well, I won't say it. They go into the steakhouse. And I go, the steakhouse in Beverly Hills? They go, yeah. I go, you, you eat there? They go, yeah, man, it's great food. I go, well, anybody can go there. Right. I said, then... So anybody can be a pro? No. So there's one out of every one million people in America is a professional basketball player. So that means professional basketball players are one in a million. I said, you cannot eat the same place the rest of the right. people it's eat. Right. A, it's a, the difference between uh, responsibility and entitlement, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm in, because I'm a, a professional basketball player, I'm entitled to do these things versus I have a certain responsibility to myself that other people... Uh, don't have because I'm in this privileged position. Right. And, and this is the deal. They go, well, I'm just blessed to be in this privileged position. No, you're a hard worker to be in this privilege. Because I know a lot of great ball players that didn't make it to the pros, or I thought were great ball mm-hmm. players. And they didn't do well in the pros, or they didn't make it to the pro. And if you don't make it to the pros, you can see those guys working 10 times harder than a guy who's in the pros. And I'm from an era where you can be cut tomorrow. This, this guaranteed money thing is great now, but I came in just as it started. I mean, it just started to guarantee money. If they didn't like the way you looked, though, they didn't like, they can trade you or cut you and be, and no problem. There's a guy named Josh Smith that just signed with someone else, but he signed with Houston. They fired him in Detroit. They cut him and, and didn't want to trade him to anybody. They didn't want anybody else to have that situation, they said. Mm-hmm. So you got to watch, you got to watch yourself. You got to pay attention. To what you do it, you, you, this is the only time you're going to have this shot. I tell my daughter who's 27, you're not going to be 27 next year. Right, <laughs> you'll only right. be 27 once. So every day 
is the blessing and every day you should figure out how to make it to the next day. What's the average career length of, for, for an NBA player? Four years. Four years. That's it. Yeah. And that's only because they give rookie four-year contracts. Mm -hmm. If they didn't give them guaranteed four-year contracts, it'd be back down to 3.2. Right. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. So you have, you've got four rings. You I played on, on Okay. <laughs> you played on three dynastic teams right. and, and got rings in three different decades, right? So yeah. really Two long career. Years. You came back to the Lakers after retiring. Mm -hmm. um, so although you weren't, you know, completely vegan, uh, you know, you were taking care of yourself, right? Yeah. Like I was a, a lying career. vegetarian. Right. Only I was a lying vegetarian. I was giving myself, I cut out the eggs when I found out they were 100% cholesterol. And that was driving me crazy. So I said, well, I can have them once a week with ketchup on them. Mm -hmm. And so I had cholesterol. That's so and good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't do it out there. Right, right. I can't do that. And you know what? I'm only going to have one sausage, even though I know the, the eating of a, of a pig is probably the worst of all of them. It, it still tastes good and it's okay. And when I went back and saw the cholesterol and every single thing I was putting in my body, and I went back and I realized that I wasn't eating the good part of the pig, which there is none. I was eating the gristle. I was having, when I explain to people what goes in the hot dogs, they don't want to talk to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people don't, well, they don't want to know. No. You know what I mean? They just, they just want to be you know, blissfully ignorant of that. But the millennials are different because everything has to be transparent in this time and age. They want to hear it now, right now. 
They want to they know why it is, and if you say it, they want to look it up. Mm-hmm. So this is, they're less trusting. Uh, but so funny, that's, that's an oxymoron of me saying it. Uh, they're less trusting, wrong word. They're less trusting because they believe Wikipedia and anything Google tells them, but it'll be about seven different references as opposed to when we were younger and I had to go and pick up the Psychopedia. Well, could you imagine when we were kids, if you had this thing in your hand that could answer any question that you ever had? I'd be the teacher. It's it's crazy, right? I said that to my daughter. I said, why are you going to college? We can't even imagine how different that is. Like, that Mm. changes everything. I don't think we really spent enough time, you know, kind of pondering the gravity of that because it's insane, right? So, of course, they're going to perceive the world differently when... You know they can go to they can go to vice.com and read a whole other you know aspect of the news that mm-hmm. when we were kids three networks you know Dan Rather's going to tell you the way it is you have your textbook in school and you know that's that's the truth right there right. is no other book that's the one book and now you can get conflicting opinions on all sorts of stuff so of course they're they're going to have a more um, open-minded and analytical you know approach to things and and I think that that is so true like they demand it's you know. It, they demand the transparency. Like right. a company that isn't going to tell you how it makes something, that doesn't make sense. Why would I patronize that company? Mm. Right? Funny you say I mean, it it's that different. Way. That's a, you know, it's a, it's completely a generational thing that I think is amazing. Yeah. And I went to, my daughter would say something to me and we would look in and I would ask a question. Somebody would say something, you know, she does the kid thing. She puts her head down and then she, while I'm talking, she hands me a phone. It's like, if you want to answer And I said, you're really good at getting that. I said, so why am I paying $50,000 a year for you to go to college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know, she was like, oh, I want the college experience. I go, well, we can do it virtually. We'll we'll put you on a video game. I think that's it. I think I'm going to have a college experience (laughs) in a video game. That's good, yeah. I'd rather virtual reality glasses and go to a frat party or something. (laughs) I think I should do that. It'd be less than the $250,000 for this job. There's uh, There's a blogger and a podcaster. His name's James Altucher, and he's like, He's got a next level brain and his whole thing is like college is the biggest scam ever. Like he's a highly educated guy and he's just like, look at it. Look at how much money they spend. What are they offering now? It's just different. You know, Mm -hmm. like you can self-create the experience that you want for 10 cents on that dollar and, and come out on the other side of it much more qualified than you would just going and getting a, you know, going and living in a dorm and, and going blindly into these classes. Like it's different if you want to look, if you want to be a doctor or you want to be an engineer or a lawyer, like, you know, it's appropriate, but you know, we're in a service economy now. Like if you want to learn how to code or if you want to learn final cut pro or learn mm-hmm. how to use pro tools and all these sorts of things, like you can work, you yeah. know, like, so what are we doing? You know, uh, we need to rethink the whole thing. I'm, I'm starting a plumbing company too. You always talk are about that. Yeah. Like right? we only got into the wine thing. We didn't right. get into like the 10 other businesses. That well, I this is why. like, I, I found that this, this very, very smart man lives in Hawaii and he has like 35 different avenues that money comes into him. Mm-hmm. And he meditates for 12, maybe. No, I go back. He starts meditation at three o'clock in the morning and at nine he comes out and he sits there and he goes swimming. He goes surfing. Mm-hmm. I met him. He was one of the first guys doing power yoga. He was one of the only gringos or white folks that they allowed in the temples learning it from the yogis so he teaches this lady some powers next thing you know she writes a book so i meet him i hear his whole story i said what do you do every day he said i surf 
And I go, no, the whole day. He said, I surf. Uh-huh. And I go, well, well, where do you live? He said, oh, we got uh, about 10 acres up here. I grow my own food. We're off the grid. And I got three kids. We homeschool them. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, my kid speaks French and uh, speaks English and Spanish. Uh-huh. And I go, well, how, how did, where's the money? He goes, what money? He goes, you, he said, money is 99% energy. It's 1% material. Same paper, they make the $1 bill, they make the $100 bill. He said, if you get caught in that, you're going to be chasing paper and the paper's not running. Mm-hmm. I said, well, how do you do it? He said, I make money while I'm asleep to pay the bills I need to be paid. Besides that, I meditate and I surf. Mm-hmm. He says, my life, that's what I want to do. Yeah, who is this guy? Oh, he's a great dude. I'll take, I'll take you to Kona. And is I he, said, is he a big island, right? Yeah. I think I might know who this guy yeah, is. And he... Uh, I, I, I lost my daughter for like 10 minutes. Nobody called child services, all right? But like, I turned this way, turned that way. She was three, and she wasn't around. And I panicked. Next thing you know, she was sitting in the chair. She goes, I knew you. Where were you? I was looking for you. So I panicked in my, all this stress because I thought somebody stole my baby girl. And this girl was working the chair out there. She goes, you got to come upstairs, man. I, I got to call us, get this guy. He'll be by and he'll work you out. And he comes by with the roughest feet in the world, and he's standing on my back, and he's working on my back and he's talking to me and then he puts a towel by my neck and he's talking to me and then he and I start crying uh-huh. and I was like so how'd you do that release. I said how'd you do that and he was like you, you, you hold everything in because you were trying to be tough in front of your daughter but this is what you need to do and then I was in I was like mm-hmm. okay how do I do it and that was it my mind said if I start something like a plumbing company the one thing they can't outsource in America is mm-hmm. plumbing materials they can but you still... Somebody's still got to come to your house on that pipe. Malibu or Compton. Yeah. <laughs> when, when your shitter <laughs> breaks, somebody got to come in. So that's why I said, you know what? I think I'm going to move into things where they can't be outsourced. You have to use them. Wine, uh, beer, gin, tequila, all those things can be vegan. People are going to drink. It's a beverage company. Water, good water. All the things I can put in that could make money while I'm asleep out of businesses right. I got into. Addictive substances yes. and uh, indispensable services. Exactly. Those are two good businesses to Pimping be ain't easy, <laughs> yeah. but somebody has to do it. All right. It. <laughs> so the wine, the plumbing, what else do you have? Um, what, what else you got going on? I got on? television. So I got yeah. uh, a new show that's going to change America called The American. It's going to change the world uh, because we, uh, and I, we got our meetings with Netflix in, in August and, uh, I got American Idol for politics. It's pretty slick. Oh wow! And uh, I worked with uh, so you're shopping Fuchia. this right now. Yeah, like, I'm only shopping. I already I'm only taking it to Netflix. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I had a meeting set up at Showtime for something else. Um, I'm going next month on the 9th to the 13th uh, to Fort Lee, and we're working with 3,000 soldiers on training. Then we're doing mm. yoga, and then we're getting a video of. 3,000 American soldiers in a lotus position, all meditating. Oh, wow, that's cool. And some of them, a lot of veterans, mm-hmm. um, because we have to literally, why that post-traumatic syndrome is you had a traumatic situation going on in your life. And since that time in Hawaii, um, I think it was 1997, since that time of when this guy talked to me and was working and then released that energy and I realized You have the traumatic syndrome because you've seen something that you locked in. And as a soldier, you're supposed to be able to do it and keep moving. You can't be emotional. You have to be a soldier. 
And I feel that's the first part of the post-traumatic syndrome. Mm -hmm. So we have to get in and show them how to release it by breathing, by meditating, by uh, not making okay with it, but realizing it happened and you have to move past it. So Mm -hmm. this one colonel heard me speak and he was like, I need you to come in and talk. And the military already has, like it's funny, this guy said, I want you to advertise us to show the world that we're working on our military. And I said, if you don't change the way the military eats at all, we're going to have guys who are in war that have right. to say, time out, I, gotta take, I have to take a shot, or I got to test my blood. If, if our soldiers become diabetic, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Big trouble, man. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we, got, we have big issues there uh, for sure. Um, I got a buddy who... Is a Marine. He's been deployed and uh, he's plant-based and he wrote an article like whatever the magazine is that all the Marines get like a whole big long article about like, you know, how about that very problem and about how plant-based is like such an amazing solution for these guys. And actually it was like pretty well received, which is interesting because you think there'd be kind of, you know, quite a bit of pushback on something like that. But something's got to change. You should come. I would, lo- I would love to. They're going to give me 46 other installations. Those are just in America. So yeah. we have 150 military bases around the world, but the 46 installations that we can deal with, they have to, and they're realizing it. That, like I said about athletes, if you want to perform at the best level, you have to stop eating what everybody else eats. You have to do, if you're going to be, it's like getting to the VIP. I was at the ESPYs for the first time, and it was Derek Jeter and LeBron uh, in this VIP section, which is like, you know, Everybody look look right, at right, the animals right. yeah, in the zoo yeah, yeah. Term, type things, and when I'm on that section, my wife is went to the bathroom and couldn't get in. She goes, I'm, you know, they were like, you can't get Sorry. in there. So when she finally got in, she goes, you didn't come get me, you didn't hear me, you didn't answer your phone, and I go, I started thinking, this is the VIP section. This is supposed to be the very important people section, and these very important people don't think that way, and they and it, not saying you got to think you're better. Don't than think what at, way that. Everything you do is important. That everything you put in your body is important. Places you go. Somebody said to me, hey, man, you don't want to come hang out with the, with the crew no more? No, I don't. Oh, you, you too big to hang with us? Not that I'm too big. I just know the last time we hung out with you, we got shot at. We went places that we shouldn't do. We, I just don't do mm-hmm. the dumb things I did because, as you said, I'm not entitled to be in this position. I worked for it, but I'm responsible, too, for the next kid that's coming in. So everything I do, I realize it's not just for me, it's the, it's the road behind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, kind of related to uh, the PTSD of the soldiers, I mean, I feel like there's, there's a similar kind of analogous scenario with uh, professional athletes when they retire, right? Yeah. Like you're somebody, uh, I'm interested in kind of how you made that tra- tra- transition to becoming, you know, successful off the court. I mean, you have this you have a huge personality, you know, mm-hmm. you have, you got crazy mad people skills and all these sorts of things that have obviously, you know, boded well for you and benefited you. Um, but I think the typical scenario is, <clears throat> you know, athletes that haven't really put much thought into what they want to do for the, I mean, they have their whole life ahead of them. Right. right. And so, you know, whether it's PTSD or some kind of low grade form of that, you see a lot of depression um, you see a lot of lost people, and, I went through it. you know, and you, you spend all your money and then suddenly they're out of money and they don't really know what to do. And they don't have their whole life was, was oriented around being an athlete. Right. And suddenly that's like overnight it's gone. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to like live in the world. Right. Well, that's the, and I'm just going to say, because a lot of people say, man, that guy lost all his money. And I say it all the time. I go, well, he's really never had his money. 
and and when he was six years Money old, had you can, him. yeah, you can tell you can tell he was a little special in basketball. Then all of a sudden he doesn't talk very well, or or, or he's not comfortable in front of people. But then you put him on the court, he's on Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. Dennis Rodman is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. Dennis Rodman in a social setting is the most uncomfortable person in the world. If you put him on a stage or you put him on the court, he turns into Dennis Rodman. Yeah, I would think that. See, I wouldn't know that. I would think he's just he's full on, you know, lights on Dennis Rodman 24/7. No. no. He's he's so the other way. You think you, you know, hanging around um um Kurt Cobain. I mean, he's like wow. that. He's like not saying he's suicidal. Well, he did go to North Korea, but not saying yeah. he's suicidal, but I am saying he was unbelievably introverted and I'm extroverted. So it made it so much easier. I was raised a Jehovah Witness, so I'm used to people slamming the doors in your face, calling mm-hmm. your name and sicking dogs on you. I just go to the next door. And I think about that every day. So it, would, it never bothered me. But somebody who wasn't used to having the fame, then get the fame. And then that becomes their fuel. And then when the fame goes away, they become depressed. When, it, when, it, when the cheering stops, when the air goes out of the ball, when nobody's kissing your butt, when you have to wait online to get into some place, they can't deal with it because of that entitlement feeling. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. I love to, yesterday, I was going to buy some flowers and I went into Vons because it was late. And I got them and then I got home and then I had to, you know, take the, take the, the thorns off it. Michael Jordan couldn't do that. Magic Johnson can't walk into Vons. Mm-hmm. You know, not mm-hmm. they, they send people, but they can't get that effect. We went to um, Vegan Bear Fest at the Rose Bowl. Right. I took about a thousand selfies. I got this thing called hashtag uh, selfie with Sally. Uh-huh. My daughter made me get the hashtag. But All right. Well, we got to do that when we we're done get here, one. by the way. Yeah, we got to <laughs> get it. But I, I, I take a thousand. I didn't get to enjoy the Vegan uh, Bear Fest. I, didn't, I got to taste mm-hmm. a couple of the beers, and I took pictures with some cute girls. Yeah, you had to be on point for everybody else. Right. But I was able to be there. And, and that's the difference. Like, Kobe couldn't be there. And I felt, going back to the VIP and being around Jeter and all that, I felt sorry for those guys. They got all the fame, all the money, but they can't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. They have to look at it. They don't even buy art. Look at this wonderful art in this place. These cats wouldn't even know. You know, you should go buy some art, some really good art, not not the bad stuff. Go buy some art, the stuff that, you know, that's going to have value on your wall that you're going to have. They don't get it. Mm-hmm. They'll go buy sneakers and wear them. And they'll go buy cars that's going to go out of style that they didn't take care of. They put rims on them. So it's a lot of things when I, went, when I go back in to talk about that is over their head and on the back of the wall by the time I finish talking. Right. Well, I think you have an innate curiosity. I mean, you know, you're, you're looking in a, a macrobiotic diet and mm-hmm. colonics and doing all this kind of crazy stuff when you were playing, you know, so you're, you, you know, by your nature, I would presume from that, that you kind of have a tendency to think outside the box or try new things or, you know, kind of be adventuresome in that regard. Whereas everyone else, perhaps it's just, you know, they're on their program, you know, and that's that. But but even so, you said that when you retired, you still went through that kind of yeah. you know, depression. I had to go so home. So how did you like weather that and then get to the other side of that? I went to marriage counseling for a second because my wife was like, this light doesn't work and this over here doesn't do something. And I said, like, hey, who did all that when I wasn't when Right, I wasn't that's here. like the soldier who comes home and yeah. suddenly he's, he's pushing a cart down at the grocery store yeah. when you know, 48 hours before he was worried about getting fragged. Exactly. And so I, I, what I did is, 
I got it. I did my, as soon as I finished with the Lakers, I did uh, a DVD called Yoga Flavor with this uh, yogi named yeah. uh, Robin Down. So we did, we did yoga to smooth R&B music, um, which was funny because we really didn't. We did the yoga and then they put the music oh, in behind yeah. it. And we got in trouble because, you know, we didn't know you had to clear the music. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but literally my life changed when I was doing yoga every day. And I'm telling you because I was looking forward to it. It, it wasn't as stressful as it was jumping down in 24-hour fitness. And that's a cool thing, too. But, you know, it still was trouble for me. I'm still an athlete. I'm, I'm a thoroughbred. So, you know, you see a girl walk by. And, you know, you put it on. And so I just decided that wasn't the environment I wanted to go into. I wanted to go into literally doing something where I can just focus on healing something inside me. And I was able to not put out the fire, but to put the fire to the side and Mm -hmm. pay attention. So, like, a lot of times I usually only hang around women because men make me hunt. And then I started hanging around Alan, who has a wife and is really into his wife. And he's my moral compass. And it, it could be with it could be some broads coming around me a certain way. And he's like, hey, you know, and I, I had to learn to calm right. it down, you know, because I want to I want to I want to prance like, you know, like yeah, a stallion. Yeah. yeah, the ego kicks up. Yeah, it kicks up. And I, I've been working really hard at being um, egoless. That's a good word. Did I make that up? Egoless? Egoless. I think I just made that up. Less ego. Egoless. That is so Jesse. Jackson made up yeah. a word just now. <laughs> yeah. Except I could understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I know. you know, black people don't even know what Jesse is saying. Yeah, I know. He just shows uh, up. So, all right. So, but that, but that's coming more recent, right? Like yeah. when, but you you started doing that when you were trying to figure out what your next move was going to be post basketball. Yeah, right? I did television. I had my yeah. own late night talk show. I I, I had it set. Rich, I love Johnny Carson since I was 11. I said I was going to play 10 years in the NBA, and then I was going to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and I was going to get a late-night talk show, and I did. And I got on Disney, uh, and then they decided to give a show to Keenan Ivan Wayans and to Magic. And mm-hmm. um, Keenan, you got to get Keenan in here, too. Keenan's body is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. he, is, he, is, he is definitely, like, he, he pays attention to every single thing. And I missed my job. I was 32 years old. And I thought it was over. And then I realized it was a blessing because I didn't know enough. You know, it's like Jimmy Fallon has a really hard job. Mm-hmm. Adam has a really hard job. When you have to every day be up on current events and be funny about it, it's kind of hard. Uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievably hard. You know, mm-hmm. you look at Jimmy Kimmel and what those guys do. I mean, yeah, but they, they have a career of being a stand-up comic and a yeah. writer and all that kind of experience that, you know, that has informed that so that when they get to that point, they're, mm-hmm. they're ready to go and they're surrounded by incredible writers yeah. and talent. Well, I did, I did stand-up while I was playing. Like, everybody else was going to the nightclub and I was finding where the comedy uh-huh. joint was. And then I would go, well, I'm going to get five minutes. And they were like, you want to get on stage? And I was like, these people hate you already. I go, good. <laughs> Let's see if I'm funny or not. Uh, so I still host some comedy things. I did stand. I did Caroline's. So I host. I do my comedy. Then I bring mm-hmm. on the guests. So I, I, I just thought it was so good to tell the truth with jest, as opposed to telling the truth and being morbid. Mm-hmm. And and it sounds even now when they do a joke, they got to say too soon. You never had to say that back in the day. You did it because it 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 brought more awareness to what it was, and you figured out you had to laugh at it. Mm-hmm. And you have to laugh at it and laugh it out, and it's going to be okay. Is what happened, and you move. So I watch comedians like Ross 
And, and I, lo- I saw Don Rickles, which nobody listening beside you and I know who mm-hmm. he is. And I asked him to insult me just so I can know what it felt like to be insulted by uh-huh. Don Rickles. Because that's the comedy I used to watch. And now everybody's offended. Everybody is sensitive. Yeah, well, there's a chilling effect on comedy now because everybody's got a phone, you know, and they take it to the comedy club and they'll grab a video clip and they'll upload it and mm-hmm. it's out of context. And it's a clickbait story that you can create all this kind of false, you know, outrage around and that drives, you know, website traffic. And it's insane. It's comedy. You yeah. know, it's it's meant to be, you know, enjoyed in the moment and in the context. And if it's not provoking you, then it's not doing its job. Right. And, you know, and it's not you're not a speed. You're not you're not a politician running for office. You're a comedian. I say the same thing. Yeah. I, and, it, and somebody said, well, they're insensitive. People died. And I go, yeah, man, you know, two people were born. One person dies every, I think, second or every two seconds on this planet. It's just the way, you know, it mm-hmm. works. But uh, I don't take it too serious, man. I take, I'm doing this documentary. I'm finally editing um, with my two partners, Rebecca and, and Chantel. It's called The Missing Peace. We got to go to uh, India and meet the Dalai Lama, and we have, like, Moby on it, Pink, and, you know, Josh Stone, uh, Paul McCartney, Stevie Wonder, um, John Black, a comedian, um, me. So I got to go to India, do this, and sit in front of him. And... It was 2009, 2008, and we're finally, I finally mm. got all the footage, and so I'm editing that, and hopefully you get to see that too. I just don't, That's I cool. What's it called that. again? The Missing Peace. Wait, do, you know, do you have distribution for that, or what's the plan? I'm just going just, straight to Netflix. Yeah, you are. All right. I'm literally dumping on, it, uh-huh. on Netflix, and everybody asks me, excuse me, why? Is because I think they have the most unbelievable platform, and I think the way they do it Here's the money, bring me the product. Mm-hmm. As opposed to having somebody who has absolutely no idea critiquing it before anybody sees it. A bunch it. of development execs who oh, are yeah. trying to hold on to their job and it's, it's right. just safer to say no or mm-hmm. they have to rationalize their position by giving a bunch of ideas to right. you that <laughs> make no sense. I'll give you an example, man. I was on ESPN and I had a product that I used to work with called Vermax and it was a male enhancement pill. It was the first time I got into this so-called close to pharmaceutical sale over the counter. And so I'm doing the interview and the guy goes, well, what are these pills? I said, well, it's male enhancement. Well, what do they do? I said, well, you know, it enhances a male in the situation. It keeps blood in the area. He goes, but exactly. I go, it makes your penis hot. (laughs) We go to commercial and they tell me that I can't be on ESPN radio anymore because I said the word penis. Mm Mm-hmm. And I go, there's a whole bunch of dicks running the company. Why? Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't like that. <laughs> that was the end of that. That was the end of that. And then I met the ESPN the other day, and they used the word penis more on ESPN than I did on a radio show. So I literally found my boy, and I said, is that guy still running this station? Yeah. I said, can I get his number? He goes, yeah. I said, hey, did you watch the ESPYs? He goes, yeah. I said, did you see how many times they said penis on ABC? And he didn't say a word. I said, but I can't come back on the radio because I said, yeah, it, but, but they you, can do it on television. Yeah, but you, look, you've been around Hollywood to know if you're looking for the uh, the apology or the recognition that mm-hmm. they they did something wrong, you're yeah. going to be waiting for a long time. Man. I said, you it need to work fire way. everybody. Yeah.
so you did radio, but you also had, what happened to your podcast, man? Well, that, uh, my man, Hench, man, I love Henchman. We had Hench and the Spider, right? Yeah. And then you had your own one as yeah, well, right? Yeah, and then, but they kept wanting to tell me what I was going to talk about. Oh, like, we could have really? never done this. And I told that guy, I said, you can't Oh, when you were, because you were at Podcast One? Yeah, I said, you can't oh. tell me what to do. And he goes, yeah, I can. And I said, okay. Interesting. And so they said, well, they're having a problem. I said, I don't have a problem with Right, me. so they owned your show. That was another thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, And sense. I kept saying, how do you own my show? He said, yeah, well, you're using you're our studios. I said, well, how about I don't use your studios? And they go, well, we still own 50% of your show. Mm. And I, so I got out of it. But Henchman became a writer on Tim. He became the writer for Tim Island. Right. On the Tim Island and show. And he's, uh, he's Adam Carolla's writing partner right. on all this stuff. Yeah, that's how I got it. Plus, when Adam has been... As nothing you if if somebody wants to fight Adam, I'm I'm stepping in first and punching you in the face. Yeah. I, I, he gave me an unbelievable shot. He's a great dude, um, unbelievably surprisingly brilliant. And he it, he really is. He yeah. really, I don't think he gets his due for how intelligent that guy is, yeah. and the business that he's built around his podcast and his podcast network is is extraordinary. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a, and he got a, he got a, uh, a liquor out called, uh, I know the Mangria. Mangria. Yeah. 18% alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, <laughs> I'm here he's, to invade no, your liver. That guy's no fool, man. No. You know? Yeah. He's, 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 he knows he, how to work it, but he's, does. I mean, look, talk about a guy who works hard. You know, he does that show five days a week and then he's got like five other podcasts that he's doing and mm -hmm. he's got Mangria and he's traveling and doing, you know, he's making, he made two movies this year. Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy, you know, is yeah. on fire. He said, I grew up in a valley in a middle-class family. He said, I know what that feels like now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. said, I did that already. I tell people that all the time. I said, my hard work comes from the fact that I had to run up to the eighth floor when the elevator was broke. And I had to wait for somebody to get out of my bathroom because it was me, my brothers, my mother, my father. I had to wait for someone. I'm the youngest. I had to wait for my brothers to get out of the bathroom. You don't want to go in the bathroom after them. And, and I had to literally been told my whole life, well, we, we can't afford it. So I work really, really, really hard so I don't have to say those things anymore. But in fairness, there's a lot of guys that, that grew up that way that also ended up in the NBA or the mm -hmm. NFL and, and don't have the kind of, you know, uh, work ethic or vision or, you know, kind of entrepreneurial flair that you have. Like, how do you, you know, if you had to, like, qualify how you distinguish yourself or what it is that's different about you that's allowed you to succeed in this way, I mean, what would that be? Persistence. I would say, um, I would say literally I am always evolving and which we all are, but I pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. I pay attention to the fact that yesterday was yesterday and I, I posted on Instagram, uh, people don't, you know, don't make your future, your habits make your future. So I make sure that my habits are beneficial for my future. So what I plant today, what I do today, will benefit me tomorrow. And I'm not, happy, I'm, not, I'm not sad that I worked that hard today so I can have it, the benefit tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's just how my mentality is. And a lot of guys grew up like that, and I said the same thing. When I was younger, I told people I was going to be a pro. And they were like, you're the worst guy in the squad. I go, well, today I am. I said, but I got here early, and when y'all ran out, I stayed and closed the gym and when you guys went to the nightclub when I was in college on Friday and Saturday, I ain't have any money to go to the club. 
I took my weighted ball, my boom box, my tape that my, my boy sent me, all the mixed new hip hop, and I had a key to the freshman gym. And when they'd be in the gym from 10 to 2 and get back, you know, after eating that IHOP, um, get back at 3, they would come by the gym. And that's how I knew it was time to get out. So I was spending six hours, 12 hours a weekend more than they were to be where I am. Mm -hmm. And it's, I've seen the benefit of it. Mm -hmm. Not a life hack. No. No shortcut. No. No, you put it in, you get it out. Time in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, When you look back on on your career, and I mean, you have the the good fortune of playing on like some amazing teams under, you know, a variety of amazing coaches, perhaps the most amazing coach being Phil Jackson. When you think about, you know, those players and those coaches, I mean, you know, what did you, you know, what are some of the characteristics of of being around that kind of greatness, you know, that you were able to kind of intuit from that experience? Well, Phil Jackson liked that I was coachable. And he liked that I was um, Chuck Daly, God rest his soul, said I had the best mental health of any athlete he's ever been around. So that was a compliment to me. And what it, what it meant, and they go, where did he get that? Well, he can yell at me, and I would nod and then go do what he said. Mm-hmm. He can yell at another guy, and the other guy would respond back and then respond poorly. I, I always looked at coaches, that's what they do, is yell. When they stop yelling at you, you either know it all or he's done with you. Mm-hmm. So... Being around Phil Jackson, he was about preparation. And he would raise his voice sometimes in practice if he said to do it a certain way and the guy didn't do it and we did it again and he said to do it and you didn't get it. Then we get in the game, you do it wrong. He would get in practice and raise his voice. He said, obviously, I need to put more emphasis on this here. And Phil's whole thing was, we don't need to worry about their defense. We need to execute our offense. That right there tells you everything. What it means is, don't worry about anybody else. They can't stop you. Mm-hmm. If you do what you're supposed to do and you stay to this system, I, I said to Brian Shaw, uh, one of my best friends in the NBA, became the coach of Denver, and I said, you need to trust the triangle more. And I don't watch sports that well. I just watch one of his games and said, you need to trust the triangle. Don't worry about what they're telling you. Trust the triangle. He got fired middle of the season. Mm-hmm. He didn't trust the triangle. And everyone said, man, the Knicks this, the Knicks that, and the Knicks this. And, Watch what happened. I'm telling everybody right now, the New York Knicks will be in the Eastern Conference Finals next year. Yeah, you're saying it now. I'm saying it right now. I said it, matter of fact. Because? Because they are implementing the triangle offense. And when you implement a system and people stay within the system and everybody is trained not to do this system, they're going to lose. And I can prove it. Phil Jackson won five championships in Los Angeles in 10 years. There's no other coach I can say that. Mm-hmm. He won six championships in 12 years, in 11 years in, in Chicago. Now, if this guy has won championships, meaning he's the best, with a system, and you go, well, he had Kobe and Shaq. Well, we, we proved this situation this past year with LeBron. Mm-hmm. Who care how good you may be? If you don't have a team doing the same thing with the same effort, with the same mentality, you're not going to win. They're always going to win in a team sport when the team is on the same page. But what are the things that he did to kind of foster that, that you know, that team mentality? Uh, okay, so I'll give you one. I'll give you the story. We're playing in Chicago. It's 1986. We had literally played poorly the game before. So he tells everybody, everybody get taped. We're scrimmaging for minutes and walks away. Now, that's a big thing to a professional athlete. Your minutes are more important than, you know, how much you get paid. 
And so guys are getting taped. They're putting the extra tape on their fingers, and they think it's going to be a real scrimmage. Mm-hmm. You know, I want minutes. And he goes, everybody meet. You know, he comes Minutes up. meaning playing time. Minutes, yeah, playing time. So we get into practice. Phil sits around, tells what he was upset about. MJ is sitting there ready to go. Scotty is ready to go. Ron Harper, Dennis Rodman, everybody's ready to go. He goes, before we get going up to the film room. So everybody goes up to the film room, and a guy named George Mumford is in there. And George sits around, and these guys hold hands, and we literally breathe mm-hmm. for 45 minutes. And that was the end of practice. You go mm-hmm. down, cut your tape off. We won 20 games in a row. Whoa. Now, that's such a trip. Everybody else would have put you on court and made you run suicides and twist and turn and run into this guy and have a fight and make you feel like that's the way it's supposed to be. He felt we needed to literally deal with each other and breathe the same air and realize we're one team. Mm-hmm. So when you get that oneness, can't be beaten. Mm-hmm. And when you got the number one player in some people's mind to ever play the game and he's doing it, when MJ is doing it, you cannot not do it. Right. So I think Phil knew exactly how to get that. And he knew that I was really good with Shaquille. He knew I was really good with Kobe. And he would put people around that were, because he can't be around you the whole time. Mm-hmm. So he was really good at also not, like he didn't yell at Dennis Rodman. So <laughs> Dennis Rodman wouldn't listen to the pregame. Because that yet. doesn't work. No, because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't even hear himself think. So how are you going to yell right. at him and get him to think? And Dennis would be on the bike watching film of the guy he got to play. He doesn't do anything but watch it film. He doesn't come out and warm up. And Phil is talking, and Dennis is not in his chair. And I'm wanting to be like, oh, you know, any other time. So Dennis walks past Phil from in the other room while Phil is talking, goes into the shower, takes a shower, comes back out. By the time we're going out, Dennis is ready to go. And I'm just staring at him because I hadn't been around him in a while. I said, Phil, what's that? He goes, oh, he knows what to do. I go, huh? He goes, he knows what to do. I only talk to people mm-hmm. that need to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I don't need to yell at him. I need him to do what he does because what he does, I can't teach. Mm-hmm. When you got a guy that's smart, man, and knows understanding how to make the best out of everybody here, he's managing 12 small companies. Right. And everybody's got different buttons installed, you mm-hmm. know? You push the wrong button on the wrong guy and you're getting a different result. Right. You know, what no matter how for much you, you pay isn't going to work for Dennis, no. right? So how do you find that, like, how do you get everybody to mesh? So when he said, when you said that, like, you worked well with Shaq, does that mean, like, off the field, too? Like, yeah, hey, that's the only time. with this guy? Right. I tell people, we, uh, they had this new show with, with The Rock on HBO. A show, I think it showed on one of them. It's called Ballers. Yeah, I pitched that 2000-something about uh-huh. the NBA. And I kept saying, the first thing you have to promise is that you won't show guys playing sport. Because that's 48 minutes. That's two hours a night, three nights a week. Mm-hmm. That's, that's ridiculous. The, the show the game is stupid. Because during the game, we can see the girl in row 16 with the white pants on. Mm-hmm. Everybody can see her. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> if during the game, everyone can see the girl with the white pants on who's sitting down, we all saw her walk up and sit in row 16. The first thing we looked down at the bench and go, who? Who gave our tickets? That's how athletes are thinking. Because what we do on the court or on the field is like urinating. That's, you mm-hmm. know how to do that. When your body wants to do it, you just do it. I tell people all the time, when I got into race car driving, they said, you're going to get so used to going fast that everything else is going to slow down. I say that 
because when you run into these guys, everything is moving too fast, this is this and everything, we don't pay attention to the game. That's why it doesn't seem like guys care mm-hmm. when they lose. They do care, but they realize that game is over already. So I worked well with Shaq when we would shoot five shots on Sunday nights. When I would tell him we were in Boston, he said, yeah, he was getting ready to go out. So you can't go, Shaq. What do you mean I can't go? You can't tell me I can't go. Yeah, I kind of can. You know, mm-hmm. can't go out in Boston. He goes, why not? I said, well, they stab Paul Pierce, and that's their star player. What do you think they're going to do to you? If they stab their star player, mm-hmm. we, can't have, we can't take that risk. Wow. So I was, I was really good at also, if I had to arrange things, I was good at arranging them where we'll never hear about it. No Bill Cosby situation will ever happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, if you, not, not the drug part, but whatever. Yeah. If you've got to arrange things, is when these guys don't realize that they have totally lost the anonymity is where they run into a problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just for the record, because I'm on the air, Tiger did not have sex with all 15 of those waitresses. Tiger. All right. And, and let me just say that, because if anybody goes back and looks up the name of the waitresses, they can't find them. What? No, you can't find those waitresses. The women who came out and, and, and made the claims? Name one. I, I mean, I don't know. Exactly. I didn't follow it that. I, well, I didn't follow it that closely. I don't know. You know, I don't not, know what's not true happening. and what's not. But not, not one. And I sat there and I went, "Wow, somebody damaged that kid's reputation because they could." And then he had to go on and apologize to who for having sex with fifteen women. I said, "Why did he apologize?" I went through this whole thing. I said, "This is real bad management," and he had one sense. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly. Uh, had one big sense. Reputation is more fragile than ever. I mean, you can't, you know, even if you're, you know, just the most nominal of celebrities, you can't go out into the world without an expectation that every single thing you do is being filmed and photographed it is. everywhere you go all the time. It is. Right. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's an invasion of privacy in some regards. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, what are you, what are you complaining about? You're like, whatever. But like, it's a thing, you no. know, like you, you, you know, you, it is like big brother is on you all the time. And so know that ultimate. Yeah. Like I think everybody needs to know that. I say like this, know? I say, Hey man, you know, welcome to the NBA. And they go, man, I made it. I go, so now you don't belong to you anymore. Right. Walter Payton, God rest his soul said to me, I said, how do you deal with being Walter Payton? He was the biggest thing when I was growing up, right? He's sweetness. He, he broke Jim Brown's record or whatever. He was he's sweetness. And he goes, in your house, you belong to you and your family. Outside, you belong to the public. When your family is with you outside, they need to realize you belong to the people outside. Mm-hmm. So if you don't get that, if you're not willing to sign up for that, you can't take the check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really what you're getting paid for. Right. You know, because I have to deal with all yeah, that. Yeah, because the, I, I was the seventh guy off the bench and people still want to take pictures of me mm-hmm. because I was in that room. I did some really good things on film, too. Every time that CBS came, my game got better. Mm-hmm. CBS, <laughs> every time I saw that, that national television, my game got really good. Yeah, Local, yeah. whatever. But it gets confused, too, because there's an expectation that a professional athlete is also a role model and you have to, you have to carry that mantle when in truth... They're just athletes, man. Right. And they got more testosterone flowing through their system than the average dude, which means they're more likely to get in trouble and, and you know, make clouded decisions about, you know, Sorry. their personal life and all that sort of stuff. So it's set up to be a disaster right. from the beginning. 
And then, and then again, it's back to the fake outrage. You know, I don't think anyone really cares, but we all have to pretend we're so outraged when, you know, player X does whatever right. and it makes headlines. Uh, I tell these guys. And that's not to excuse, you know, some really bad behavior that goes on, just to be clear. But, you know, the average kind of misstep, you know, where we all like act like it's the end of the world when it's nothing that like, you know, a lot of people who are anonymous are probably doing mm-hmm. all the time. I read uh, one time in the Bible, it said bad association spoils useful habits. Bad association. So sometimes you can get in a situation, they always, why do they get their money stolen from a bad agent or a bad uh, money guy? Why do they have an entourage with guys hanging around who are doing things? It's because they don't know, because they are horses. I tell them they are thoroughbreds. All they know is when you bring them out, they run, they play on the field, they get fed, they get washed, they you know that's all they know they they don't have time to learn how to judge people's character mm-hmm. they're spending all their time to judging whether this guy is a pump fake or whether he goes left-handed whether he's right they don't have time to think about the rest so they only know to trust trust people who seem to be in their best interest mm-hmm. how much responsibility do you think the NFL or the NBA or the NHL should shoulder in kind of, you know, helping athletes make that transition out of professional sports and into real life or just managing those kind of life skills. Like here's your, here's what you're going to have to deal with. Nope. Right. Like, do you think that they should though? No. Mm-mm. And I, the reason because why if the, if the athletes are not, they're not, they're not qualified to handle all that and it creates so many self implosions. Right. But this is the deal. As I explained to NBA player, one out of a man. One out of a mere Americans. But all the more reason to like protect that investment by giving them some skills to help them figure out how to not make those mistakes. But I can I can give you an example. There was a guy named Paul Saka, um Paul, uh, what's Paul, Paul? Yeah, yeah, Paul from the from right. uh, the Lakers. Yeah, see what I just Spanish did? Guy. I did that on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just to let you go. Oh yeah, Paul. Uh, no, yeah. yeah, that's why I did that. Uh-huh. What's his last? Because. Paul Gasol, right? Yeah. People say, oh, Paul Gasol. I'm going to say, oh, well, who was center before Paul? I don't know. Exactly. So that's why they come and go like a, like a, like a mosquito in the wind, bro. Mm-hmm. And they have to worry about man. Think of what, what Goodell has to do with football right now with Brady, who is the MVP and the Super Bowl champion. How do you, how do you mm-hmm. handle that some guy decided to say, well, he told me to take the air out of the ball. It's like, that's why OJ's in jail right now, because somebody said he told me to bring the gun. Not mm-hmm. that OJ did anything, mm-hmm. but you made him bring the ball, bring the gun, so you're the terrorist. You know what I'm saying? So you, guys run into these situations, people don't care. Mm-hmm. People used to love OJ in this country. Love. You say that word, that did, Orange Juice doesn't even use the word OJ anymore because of that. It's so crazy that Ford stopped making Broncos because of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, we're so important in the country, but yet not so important. During September 11th, you know what the most important thing was? Is the baseball game going to be played tonight? Mm-hmm. That was the most important question. Should we, should we play the game? I know we just got, you know, mm-hmm. but is it important for us to play the game? That's all that was important. So they really don't care. They just need to be entertained. I, I found out a long time ago when David Stern said, if you take the names off the bat, no one would care. They only care about the name on the front. Mm. So I look at it differently. I don't think that's true. Oh, yeah? Yankees. 
Uh, <laughs> I say it yeah. all the time. Yankees. And the Basketball's Yankees, different. Uh, Yankees do it. The, no, I'm telling you. The Yankees proved that point so big. You know what you say? Oh, man, number two is good. I, I can't even hit you right now. Tell me what Alex Rodriguez's number is. Uh, I don't know, but like I don't, I don't follow. Like I'm like I'm like a bad, I'm like the worst example right. because like I don't follow that stuff that closely. Right. So, but I'm the, the wrong guy to ask. But there's a million of, guys that could yeah. answer that question. But like then that. they would tell you this is his number. Like I remember <clears throat> these guys get a number. There's no name on the back, so they have to realize the most important name is the one on the front. Mm. I gotta go, man. Yeah, I gotta right, go man. pick up my car. I love you, man. Right. Thank you for doing Thanks this. Thanks so much, dude. And uh, you got your vegan food share band. I on. do. I got it, man. Thanks. And uh, Thanks we gotta a lot, take man. our selfie with Sally, right? All right, we gotta do that. So if people are digging on John, uh, johnsally dot uh, com, the John Sally on Instagram and uh, Twitter, right? No, and, it's uh, John Sally on Instagram and the, the John, John Sally, Sally on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Somebody won't give me my stuff back. All right. I'm certified though. All right. <laughs> I got I got Facebook to certify, yeah, brother. Cool. Um, what else, where else should people go? Um, you should go to Whole Foods and ask for the vegan vine wine. And I am literally going to be, uh, you can just go, you go vegan food share. You'll see a bunch of pictures on a bunch of things I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I show up in all the cool places that you do, man. Yes, sir. You're Mind everywhere. body green. You're, I got, I got my right. new article. I know. 22 reasons to be a vegan. Oh, I haven't seen that one yeah, yet. Man. We just, we just sent it into them. So it's an ongoing series. I give you two reasons each time until we get to 22, and then we drop all 22 reasons to be a vegan. Cool, man. Right Pretty slick. All right, brother. All right, man. Thanks a lot, dude. Thank you. You're an inspiration. Definitely. Look who's talking. Time, dude. Yeah. All right, man. Peace. Plants. All right, you guys. What'd you think of that? You guys enjoy that? I hope you did. Let me know what you think in the comment section at richroll.com on the episode page. Uh, it's tough. It's tough with guys like John. Uh, he's such a pro. He's so used to interviewing people and being interviewed uh, that what comes with that kind of professionalism sometimes is it makes it a little bit more difficult, a little trickier for a guy like me to kind of try to crack the, the shell, you know, and gets, I'm always trying to find a, a way to connect emotionally or um, get something unique or perhaps uh, a little bit more vulnerable and authentic from my guests. I don't always succeed in that regard. I'm not sure I did today, but nonetheless, I enjoyed that conversation and I hope you guys did too. Uh, he's a kick, right? A uh, couple announcements. If you live in LA or your travels take you to this part of the world, my part of the world, I wanted to let you guys know that uh, it would be great if you could check out a couple of the businesses that I'm partnered in. Uh, Joy Cafe, I haven't talked about Joy in a little while, but Joy Cafe, it's our organic plant-based and gluten-free eatery located in the Westlake Village area of Los Angeles. It's kind of like the Northwest section of town. Uh, You'll often see me eating there. I eat lunch there all the time. So if you want to come and meet me and uh, share a bite, that's the best place to do it. Uh, And I'm also partnered in a company called The Karma Baker, which is a vegan and gluten-free bakery that's also located in the Westlake Village area. And it just feels really good to serve the global community with my podcast and to also be able to serve the local community with food that is consistent with my values. So I'd love it for you guys to check out uh, both of these businesses if you happen to be in the hood. I'm really proud to be associated with them, and I think you guys will enjoy them as well. For all your plant power needs, visit richroll.com. we got all kinds of great nutritional products uh, and garments there. 
Uh, pick up our book, The Plant Power Way, if you haven't yet, our cookbook and lifestyle guide. We have signed copies of Finding Ultra at richroll.com. We've got nutrition products, 100% organic cotton garments, plant power tech tees, sticker packs, basically all kinds of cool stuff to take your health and your life to the next level. Uh, I've got two online courses at mindbodygreen.com, The Art of Living with Purpose and The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. Go to mindbodygreen.com and click on video courses. You'll find out lots more information about those there. Thanks so much uh, for sharing a couple hours of your precious time with me today. Thanks for uh, telling a friend about the show, sharing it on social media, and for always using the Amazon banner at ritual.com for all your Amazon purchases. Thanks so much, you guys. Uh, it means so much to me to have you guys on board as an audience. I do not take it for granted. And uh, each week uh, I commit myself to do better, find the right people to share the right messages with you guys. So I'll see you guys in a couple days with another episode of the podcast. And until then, make it a great one. Peace. Plants. listen to that? I did.